0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل هو الله احد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا احد كذلك الله ربي الله اكبر اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد افضل ما صليت على ابراهيم, وآل إبراهيم. كاميد مجيد اللهم صل على محمد وآله في كل وقت وكل ون وعلى كلها اللهم العنى أَوَّلَ ظَالِمٍ ظلم حك محمد وآل محمد أَخِرَتَ تابع له على ذلك اللهم عَنِ العصابة التي جاهدت الحسين وشايت وبايت وتابعت لا كتله. Allahumma li'un جميعا اللهم Allahumma على محمد وآل wa al فرجهم wa rajjil furajahum wa ahlik a'dahum. Allahu akbar. ربي صل على محمد azim محمد bihamdi الله لمن wa rabbi'solli'a Subhanallah, Subhanallah, سبحان Allah, سبحان الله اللهم Allah, على محمد وآل محمد الله أكبر استغفر الله Allah, Allah, إليه الله أكبر سبحان ربي الأعلى Allah, ربي صل على محمد وآل محمد الله أكبر الحمد لله كما هو أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله اللهم صل على محمد وعلي محمد وتقبل شفا الله أتوه أصحر الله ربي وأتوه حول الله وقوته أقوم وأكعد الله اكبر سبحان الله سبحان الله سبحان الله سبحان ربي العظيم وبحمد ربي صل على محمد وآل محمد سمع الله لمن حمده الله اكبر سبحان الله سبحان الله سبحان الله اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد الله Akbar, astaghfirullah الله wa atubu ilayhi. Allah Akbar, subhan rabbiyallaha ala wa bihamd rabbiyasalli wa awli muhammad. Allah Akbar, bihamdulillahi wa akum wa Allahu Akbar Subhanallah, الله Subhanallah, الله Subhan Allah Subhan Rabbiyal Azim wa bihamdi Rabbil 'alamin Sallallahu 'ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad Sami Allahu liman hamida Allahu Akbar Subhanallah, 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 Allah, Allah, Allah. Muhammad wa ali Muhammad الله أكبر أستغفر الله ربي وأتوب إليه الله أكبر سبحان ربي الأعلى وبحمد ربي صل على محمد وآل محمد يا خير المسؤولين ويا خير المعطين ورزقني ورزقك يا من فضلك فإنك ذو الفضل العظيم وأنت الجواد الكريم يا خير الرازكين الله أكبر الحمد لله كما هو أهله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد as-salamu alaykum wa, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu wa, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah. Allah ma Allahumma <laughs> salli ala <laughs> Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad Allahumma salli ala Muhammadin wa ala Muhammad
1: A الله الذي lah and laddie lahila, rahim. Zuljalali will he crummy, what a two boy and laddie lahila, who will hang you, الرحمن الرحيم ذو الجلال والإكرام وأتوب إلي بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد اللهم إنه ليس علم بموضي رزقي وإنما أطلبه بخطرات تقترب على قلبي فعجول في طلبه البلدان فأنا في معنا طالب كالحيران La Dria <tries> fee sahlin huam fi jabalin, um fee arzin, um fee samain, um fee barin, um fee bach. While I a demon woman kibaliman wakadalim to an alma who in the quasper who be a dick. Want a lazi taksimu who or to some people who be rahmatic. Allahumma for swallow Allah Muhammadi wali. Waja alia rapiris kakali wasia. Womat labe sahla, womah haza who kariba. ولا don't be afraid of me, but you don't be afraid of me. And if you're a fool of Allah,
0: السلام عليك يا نبي الله السلام عليك يا حبيب الله السلام عليك يا رسول الله السلام عليك يا امير المؤمنين سيد الوسيم امام المتقين السلام عليك يا فاطمه الزهراء سيدات النساء السلام عليك يا خديجه الكبرى ام المؤمنين السلام عليك يا حسن المجتبى السلام عليك يا أبا عبد الله وعلى الأرواح التي حلت بفنائك عليكم مني جميعا سلام الله عبدا ما بقيت وبكي الليل والنهار ولا جعله الله آخر لحد مني لزيارتكم السلام على الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى أولاد الحسين وعلى أصحاب الحسين السلام عليك يا شهداء كربلاء جميعا ورحمه الله وبركاته السلام عليك يا غريب الغرب السلام عليك يا معين الضعفاء والفقراء سلطان بن حسان مولانا علي بن موسى الرضا كن شفيعنا وشفيع والدينا في يوم الجزاء السلام عليك وعلى اختك فاطمة المعصومه ورحمه الله وبركاته السلام عليك يا مولانا يا صاحب والزمان السلام عليك يا خليفة الرحمن السلام عليك يا شريك القرآن الأمان 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 من فتنة الزمان عجر الله تعالى فرجك وصح الله مخرجك وظهورك وجعلنا من أنصارك وشعتك ومحبيك السلام alaikum وعلى rahmatullahi الطاهرين رحمة الله وبركاته الله barakatuhu
1: Muhammad Wali, Muhammad Salawat. The fire has been activated by the smoke from the oud in the ladies. So please don't uh, worry. Um, we'll we'll take care of the fire alarm um, in a minute. आदि जो वो उठ गए खाना मुझे कुछ bar muhammad wali muhammad salawat jabrida sar senchini main tunaya ghazi jabri da sar se chini main sada deeti rahi tu kaha aur zinda ye behan ka de gayi tu nayan teri khushboo Tere <tries> bazu na kate Tuna ya ghazi <tries> na milay Tere khushbu to <tries> rahe <tries> tere Nakate, na kate chahe mashki sachide ye magar ho nasaka tere baazu hai juda Tujh peh hai tish labi Tuna ya ghazi Dup mein tu tha Tujhse abad tha gar Ye beherna meera sar, kya nahi tujjuh ko khabar. Ay alam daare wafa, is pahen ko ba khuda. Tudhse dharasthi bharii Tuna ya ghazi Jadrida sar se me alam Lut gai ahele haram Rat par chalti hui Ho gaya thanda alam ke liye milne ke liye a tunaya garzi de tunaya um <sweak> let's
2: Wait for mankind to wake up, then every nation will call out, "Hussein belongs to us. In line with the verses of poetry I have just recited, we gather from a night like this across two months and eight days in remembrance of the lifeline of Islam, the tragedy of Karbala being given this opportunity to speak on the first of these nights i thought it would be appropriate in the short time that i have to talk about why we remember the, this event and with more and more vigor every year that goes by the importance of the commemoration of the tragedy of karbala can be seen in the many narrations that we have received by ahl al-bayt <laughs> the holy prophet sallallahu wa has narrated, surely in the hearts of the believers, there exists a burning flame with respect to the martyrdom of Imam salam. Another narration states, O Fatima, every eye shall be weeping on the day of judgment, except the eye which has shed tears over the tragedy of Hussein, For surely that eye shall be smiling and should be given the glad tidings and the bounties and comfort of paradise. Imam Jafri Sadiq salam once asked his companion, do you sit together to talk and discuss amongst yourselves? The companion rep- responded, yes. The Imam replied by stating, I approve of these sittings to keep our Imamat alive. May Allah exhibit mercy on those who revive our I- issue and mission. Through the above sayings, we can see that whilst there are several forms of commemorating Imam Hussein and the tragedy of Karbala, and these in most cases reflect local cultures, we must always remember that the essence remains one, and that is to remember the tragedy of Karbala. In one way or another, and our dedication to the cause which Imam Hussain stood for. Many may ask, why Karbala? Why Imam Hussein? For what reasons do Shia Muslims flock year on year in commemoration of these events? Is there not any other event in history which can serve the same purpose? The answer is simple, no. Gobala is unique, stand-alone and a catalyst for the believers. Why? The tragedy of Gobala is such an event that if remembered sincerely can have a reforming effect on a person as well as a revolutionary effect on a community. As we know, the Ahlul Bayt are infallible beings, and as such, where they have emphasized so much on the remembering of these events, it is our belief that there surely must be many positives for a believer in this remembrance. These morning rituals may be small, insignificant, and unneeded practices. However, the strength of these rituals are in fact such that it is able to transform themselves into a better person. In life, before improving, there is always a always a stage of self-realization that we undertake before we change for the better as stated in the Holy Quran in verse number 11 of Surah Raad where Allah says truly God does not change the truly God does not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves karbala in many ways acts as a catalyst for people to self-reflect and come to a realization of what they need to change A potter can only shape clay to its desired object by using water. As long as his hands are moist, he can keep enhancing the shape of the object. As soon as his hands become dry, the enhancement process of the object dries out. Just as the water acts as the tool to mould the clay, remembrance of the tragedy that befell Imam Hussain and his family in Karbala acts as the tool to mould oneself into a better person mold communities into better communities and shape the world into a better place. These most important morning rituals, therefore must be understood to be most blessed of of means through which we are able to progress and work towards an end, which is to achieve closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thus carry ourselves as good human beings on the earth. Every individual's story of sacrifice, loyalty, obedience and discipline to mention some of the many positive characteristics that were in abundance during the event of Karbala, provides an example for us where even during times of hardship, Imam Hussain and his companions along with his family acted with such principle that their stories have never and will never be forgotten. Take for example, Hazrat Muslim bin Aqeel, the the representative of Imam Hussain who had the opportunity to kill Ibn Ziyad when he came to visit a fellow companion in Kufa. However, did not go ahead due to the fact that his attack would have been from behind Ibn Ziyad and that he had learnt from his uncle, our first Imam, Imam Ali, <laughs> that he should not attack an enemy from the back. Another example is Hazrat Habib Ibn Mazay, who left his family to answer the call of the Imam at the first instance. It would have been easy for Hazrat Habib to stay with his family, as he was in his old age. However, he left his family and risked his life in leaving Kufa to support Imam Hussein. Unlike the other so-called companions in Kufa, for when they heard that the Imam needed help, shied away from the opportunity and stayed behind, taking the easy option. It is not only the men of Karbala who showed firm principles. However, as we say, Karbala is a lesson for everyone such as Bibi Sakina, who at the time of Karbala was four years old and was thirsty since water had been prevented from reaching the camp of Imam Hussain since the 7th of Muharram. However, we still saw her take care of the young children who were thirsty. This showed her selflessness and that the hard and right choice can be taken by all ages. The biggest example that we can see of character and principle is that of Imam Hussein Hussain. Salam. When asked to give allegiance to the tyrant of the time, Yazid, Yazeed, it would have been easy for him to give allegiance and his family and companions could have lived in peace. However, he stood against the tyrant of the time, even if that meant undertaking a great sacrifice to show that we should stand against oppression, whatever the situation. The effects of this can be seen in the world today simply through the fact that Islam is still alive. Where we mourn and show love for those who are shining stars in the time of extreme difficulty, the effect we should endeavor to take is that to resemble in making the choices in life. We should aim to take every step in line in life with the Prophet's and Imam's teachings, and in many cases to follow these is the harder choice. Whilst there are numerous aspects in the tragedy of Karbala which are extremely difficult for the Bayt. One of the most difficult moments faced by the family of the Holy Prophet <laughs> was when the caravan of Imam salam <laughs> left Medina and one of the daughters of Imam Hussein, Bibi Fatima Sugra had to remain behind with her grandmother, Bibi Umm Salma. Bibi Fatima Sugra was said to resemble the Lady of Light, Bibi Fatima. And due to her close resemblance, Imam Hussein could not bear to take her with her as he was aware of the tribulations that would befall the ladies who accompany him. After all, Imam Hussain had seen his mother go through so much in the last few months of her life. Nonetheless, it breaks my heart when I think of the pain it would have caused Imam Hussein to say farewell to his beloved daughter with the knowledge that he would not return. It is said that Bibi Fatima Sugra had a very close relationship with her brother, Hazrat Ali Akbar. And after their separation, the heartbroken daughter of Imam Hussein would wait by her grandparents' graves or the entrances of Medina awaiting the return of her beloved father and mother. O oh, Imam Hussein, you left your beloved daughter in Medina as you could not bear for the image of your holy mother to face the tribulations in Karbala. But what about the holy lady who accompanied the caravan that left from Medina to Karbala and from Karbala to Kufa and to Sham? And back to Medina with a broken rib, watching each and every heart-wrenching moment unravel. Inna lillahi wa inna ilaihi rajiun. I would like to finish with a couple of lines of poetry in which poets have tried to explain the importance of the martyrdom of Imam Hussein. La to tawba able <inaudible> mazata ka la तो to par liya ab le maza taaseer ka la ilah ki means foundation la ilah ki teh mein khoon hai shabbir ka la ilah ke parne walon la ilah se pooch lo la ilah to bach gaya agar lut gaya shabbir ka bayan kare shahadat agar tafsir ho jayay musalmano ka qibla roza shabbir ho bar muhammad wa muhammad salawat
1: two quick things before um uh Shaykh, um, starts the Madlis. um and we will make this as a norm for the next few days to come one is that I would like you all to stand and come forward, please. Thank you for that. Um, And two children aged four to 12, there is a separate list for them upstairs in the Zamana Hall.
3: salatu was salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen Shafi'i dunubina wa tabibi nufusina Wahhabibe kulubina abil qasimi muhammad wa alihi tayyibin al-tahirin al-ma'asumina al-madlumina al-muntajibin wa ashabihi al-muntajibin wa la'anatullahi Allah Rabbish rahli sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisaani yafqahu qawli. Amma ba'da assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa
4: alayhi
3: wa sallam. A'adhum allahu jura na musabi nabi ebi abdillahi l-hussain aleyh sallatuhu sallam. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to come and to bless, receive the blessings from the remembrance of Abdullah And we thank Allah for keeping us alive to witness this occasion once again to revive our faith and to bring about that beautiful transformation
4: that needs to be brought about through the remembrance of Hussein Ibn Ali. A transformation where mortals are transformed into true humans that resemble the glorious ranks of the angels and the true angelic beauty that is within us begins to emerge and show itself.
3: What a beautiful introduction our young brother gave to the majlises of Muharram. Indeed, Hussein ibn Ali has brought about
4: such a phenomenal reform within the human community that humanity leave aside the formalistic Islam, but humanity is indebted to the likes of Hussein ibn Ali. He revives the spirit of humanity, that integrity, that dignity gives a glimpse of the loftiest status awaiting humanity, where humanity can reach to the thresholds of divinity and begin to resemble the most beautiful himself. This institution, as Imam Khomeini says in terms of Hajj, He says in one of his lectures that if the powers of the world were to spend the entire treasure in creating a platform to gather people to impart a single message, they would not be able to do so. Yet the platform created by Hajj is one people flock to. I will say that he might have also intended to say that the platform created by Hussein ibn Ali, through the sincerity of his devotion to Allah and what he offered on the day of Ashura is a platform that crosses Makkah, that prevails upon the entirety of the earth, an institution in itself. Can you imagine? He commands the respect of minds all over the world and transcends colors and religions. We find this so clear within Africa and India that people, when it comes to Hussein Ibn Ali, they go beyond their persuasion and they say, indeed, when it comes to Hussein, we relate to him. This platform that Hussein Ibn Ali has created for us is a platform through which a whole nation can be reformed. Can you imagine people come and listen to Hussein Ibn Ali and for 10 days, their minds are there receive the message of Imam Hussein and to make something of their lives and to bring about much needed goodness in this world of ours before I commence with the topic
3: Imam Hussain was extremely spiritual in
4: those few hours of Hussein Ibn Ali's life that we know he has impacted us to the core have you ever seen a person who has only been studied for a few hours of his life AND IN HIMSELF BECOMES A RELIGION AND AN INSTITUTION. THIS IS NOT MERELY EMOTIONALLY BASED. THERE ARE GEMS OF HUMANITY THAT HE HAS DISPLAYED THERE. THERE ARE MORAL, SPIRITUAL, SOCIAL LESSONS THAT WE CAN LEARN FROM THE STORY OF Hussein IBN ALI, THE STORY OF INTEGRITY, OF DIGNITY, OF COURAGE, OF RIGHTEOUSNESS, OF MORALITY, of spirituality, of how to grow in defeat, of how to make suffering work positively in the development of the human soul. Have you ever seen a person who at the decapitation of his son becomes more spiritual? Have you ever seen a person who at thirst eulogizes Allah more than he was before, before encountering the thirst? Have you ever seen a person being struck with swords, spears, arrows, stones? And yet his lips are moving in the eulogy of Allah more intensely than they were before he is attacked. Have you ever seen a person who has fallen from his steed, whose face now at the point of death begins to radiate with divine beauty and with such serenity that his antagonists are moved by it, that the people filled with hatred of this man, hard-hearted people about whom Allah says their hearts, are as hard as rocks nay there are rocks that split open with water flowing through them there are rocks that break in the awe of allah there are rocks that fall to the ground in the absorption of the might of god but their hearts will not be moved can you imagine people of such hearts being moved at that point observing the serenity that prevails upon the face of ibn Ali? this man is truly a man that strikes at the core of humanity, beyond persuasions, colors, culture, religions, beyond time and era and space. Have you ever seen such a universal person within the folds of humanity? Have you ever seen a person that impacts people so profoundly as Husain Nadirdas, and whose only example that people have are six hours of his life? To do this in six hours shows something doesn't it a man immersed in God to the level that he becomes godly the same God who is colorless directionless this man of his the devotee of his who gives himself to the blade and everything else that he possesses becomes as colorless as directionless as statusless as a person without any denomination And in his colorless, he encompasses all colors. And in his directionless, every direction tends to him. And in his statuslessness, every status calls out for him. And in his languagelessness, every language proclaims him. Every heart beats with that name. Whether they acknowledge him as Hussein or Shabir or by any other example how wonderful is this man and how profound is the impact that he has made upon us so I shall say not only the formalistic Islam but humanity to the core is indebted to this man it is not an exaggeration that the poets recite that the whole of the prophetic mission culminates at his glory that if righteousness has ever had a standard, an absolute standard, is Hussein ibn Ali. You know, I'll just narrate this as I begin my topic. Somebody called me many years ago and she said, "Molana, can you perform my divorce? I said, well, I'll have to know which school of thought you belong to. And she said, I don't know. I said, in that case, reply to this, after the prophet, who is the successor? She said, I don't know. I said, Do you know Imam Ali? She said, No. I said, Abu Bakr? She said, No. I said, Khalifa Omar? She said, No. I said, Well, what else do you know apart from Allah? She said, I only understand the name Hussein. This is how this man has impacted the minds and the hearts. If we take away the label of Islam for Hussein ibn Ali, he becomes the heritage of humanity at large. If we take away the label of Shiaism, he becomes the heritage of the Ummah at large. This is how broad this man is. Can you imagine? And look at the camp that is with him. Slaves, black, white, Muslims, non-Muslims, men, women, grown-ups, elders, old, young. And all of them pertain to him equally. Have you ever seen such a profound personality within humanity? We take great pride in Hussein Ibn Ali. That human humanity can culminate in such glory and can stand at such peaks that when everything is taken from them, their dignity is intact. Their morals are intact. Their spirituality is on the ascension. And imagine this of Hussein. As he is being cut into pieces, his eyes are tearing. And they ask him, Hussein, why do you tear? You are the bravest upon the face of the earth and amongst the creatures of God. He says, these tears are for those who kill me. Why do you weep for them, O Hussein, at their fate? That awaits them. My heart breaks that these souls have wasted themselves and Allah has made me a test for them and through me they will incur damnation and that is what breaks my heart. At that peak of battle this is what this heart feels for his enemy. Our topic is Islam god centricity and human liberation and it is apt that such a topic be attributed to hussein ibn ali islam submission wholesome surrender to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the highest principle god centricity that everything within human life is focused specifically towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and human liberation to allow humanity to arrive at the lofty pedestals destined for humanity. There was a reason for why the angels appear flat upon their foreheads in front of Adam. Adam and the sons of Adam are destined to reach certain glorious heights. And those glorious heights can only come through a process of liberation. This process of liberation can only come through focus towards Allah. This focus to Allah can only come through surrender, a wholesome surrender to Allah beyond any restraints. And it is apt to connect this to Hussein ibn Ali. The Islam of Hussein was absolute surrender. The focus of Hussein to Allah was that when Akbar falls in front of him, he weeps and he says, Oh, child, your death tears your father's arteries apart. But it becomes easier through the knowledge that Allah witnesses these scenes and preserves souls with what they have done. The focus that Hussein had, the God centricity, when he falls, he utters, Allahumma anta makan, Jabarut. mujib. O Lord, grand are you in your ranks, lofty is your majesty. Near and proximate you are, and respond you do to every supplication. Such is the focus. And the liberation that he has is that even at the killing of Abbas, Akbar, Azgar, he does not lose sense of righteousness and his morality. So therefore, it's apt to connect this topic to Hussein ibn Ali Salamullah. And in honor of Hussein Ibn Ali, we shall commence with this topic of ours. As human beings, we need to understand our world, to understand life, to have some notion of what we are all about, in order for us to lead a meaningful life. When a human being awakens to this world, and he sees the natural phenomena, he needs to make sense of it because the human being cannot exist in isolation of control. This control for the human being is through knowledge of what is happening around them. So now the former human being, when he saw the sunrise and the sun set, what they did was they connected human life to the rising of the sun. The setting of the sun was a frightful event for them. So they constructed a worldview that the sun is our God and hence at night they would offer devotions to the sun in order to ensure that the sun comes out again in the morning. This was the worldview in which they lived. At every point, human beings need to understand this world and how this world is in order to lead a meaningful life. Whatever we understand our world as informs our attitudes, our interpretation of the events of this world, our appreciation of this world, and it will also inform our level of growth. So, for example, and I often give this example, but it's a befitting one, so we will give it again. At one point, the world was thought to be flat. Since the world was thought to be flat, it then both informed people how they should look to the world, and it also curtailed them in the sense that it it allowed them to interpret the rest of the universe in terms of flatness of the celestial bodies. And on the other hand, it also curtailed them into how far they could go in exploring this world. And also, it prompted them to create crafts, but curtailed them in in making smaller crafts. Because if they were to set a sail, there is a possibility that the ocean might end and they might fall off the edge. So, it informs them in terms of how to understand the world. Also, how their activities ought to be, how much they should aspire. And it limits them and restricts them. This is how the world and the human mind has always been. It has been something that needs to make sense of the world and in accordance with the sense that it makes, that determines the striving, the evolution and the progression of the human being. Now, Let us look at the historical development of worldviews and the paradigms that we've had, the astronomical one, let's say, the cosmological ones. At one point, we used to operate on the Aristotelian paradigm, that the Earth was the center of the universe, and everything else was a weightless body in the sky, and that everything was determined. This persisted. This then influenced the human beings in the way they were thinking. As a result of this, the Christians construed or constructed a whole theology of the supremacy of human beings based upon the centrality of the earth. The Christians said, Earth is the center of the universe. This, therefore, proves that everything is created in honor of the earth, and the most superior being on the face of the earth is the human being. And therefore, the centrality of the earth marks the supremacy of human beings, and that is a God-given supremacy. As soon as we found out that the earth was not the center of the universe, but was as meaningless as any other celestial body, which are in their trillions, together with changing the notion of the centrality of the earth, went the whole notion of the supremacy of human beings, and with it went the claim of righteousness, of the divine knowledge that Christianity prodi- uh, the, uh, uh, claimed that it had. And of course, in its place then, we had the whole awakening, industrial revolution. The scientific mind grew and religious and, uh, power and authority was diminished through it. So the worldview informs us how to think how to understand things. Now, let's give another example which might be a little mundane. If we were to say that the earth is flat, then we would conclude legally within Islam that there has to be only one first day of the month because as soon as the moon arrives into the uh, horizon, it's one moon that the whole earth should potentially see. It informs also our legal interpretations of fiqh. So our worldview are such that they allow us to construct the rest of our world around that worldview. Paradigms are such. They allow us to construct everything about ourselves around that worldview. Now, within the scientific world, the Aristotelian paradigm of the universe was then challenged by the Newtonian one. Newton said, no, it is a mechanistic universe. Everything observed, observes fixed laws. And he came out with the most brilliant understanding of gravity. That gravity is that thing that pulls things to the earth. He observed an apple falling upon his head. Whereas if an apple fell upon my head, either I would curse. Or say Alhamdulillah, Allah is giving me risk and eat it. But Newton, this great man, he said, but why did the apple fall? Why didn't it go sideways? Why didn't it rise? Why does everything fall? And from that he deduced that there is something like gravity. And through that he constructed a worldview that every part of the universe can be predicted accurately if we can understand this principle of gravity. And it's worked for us. Through this principle, we were able to send probes to the moon and to Mars. But the problem was that the newer findings that we were finding about the universe and the way the universe was behaving were not falling very neatly within the Newtonian paradigm. So what did we do? We cut, we chopped, And we forced them to fix within the Newtonian paradigm until it became so overwhelming that the evidence is there to suggest that the Newtonian paradigm is not right, especially when Einstein came with his theory of relativism, uh, relativity of light and so on and so forth, (coughs) and a different theory of space, that we said, yes, the Newtonian gravity works for Earth, for bodies within their own context, but does not work as far as the bigger universe is concerned, but it nonetheless has its own place within pockets of that universe. So here our minds broadened and all the new information that we had, we were able to interpret it accurately within the new paradigm created by Einstein and the new physicists findings. This is exactly what happens when we construct a worldview. It forces us to make sense of our religion, our morality, understanding of society within that world view. Now, not only does the world view influence the way in which we understand the rest of our life and the way in which we act and behave, it also influences our notion of the afterlife. So, for example, the Pharaoh had this notion that the powerful upon the earth Is a powerful person in the afterlife. So therefore, according to his own worldview, at his death, many of his slaves were killed and placed in the tomb with him because he will still be the king in the afterlife and he will need slaves to serve him in his new kingdom. His riches, his gold, and his diamonds were buried with him. Big pyramids were created for the pharaoh it informs not only how we behave in this world, how we treat the other, how we interpret our religion, how we make sense of our fiqh, how we make sense of morality, it also informs us how we behave for the afterlife. Similarly, the notion that we are the chosen ones, the Jews had this notion and the Quran is replete with these verses that they say that we are the sons of Allah and we are the chosen ones. What this does to them and to their mind is that it constructs a theology for them in which they are beyond reproach. No one can touch them. No one can do anything to them. If you are the chosen one, then other than you is dispensable. You can kill them. You can loot them. You can plunder for them. You can leave them starving. You can you usur- serve for them and you will have no consequences that you face. This is what the worldview does. It informs our morality, our actions to the fullest. Now, (coughs) the Jews are narrated as saying within the Quran that the Ummiyin, the Gentiles, do not have any recourse to us or any claim upon us. What they were saying was that we are the chosen ones. We cannot be touched. We are the favored ones of Allah. So therefore, what they did was they could lie to the other They could, I'm not saying the Jews of today are like that. And I'm not saying all Jews are like that. But I'm talking about the Jews that are mentioned within the verse of the Quran. Yes. The Quran is very open in condemning the Jews, Christians and the Muslims, all three alike. It does not bar anyone. Yes. So I'm just giving the, uh, so I don't want to offend people of any religion or of any persuasion because our Prophet did not do that. And the Quran does not do that. I'm just giving examples. Yes. So these understanding of theirs led to this sort of discrediting of the other. Now, imagine if we have this view like the Christians have, that Isa had come and died for us and purged us of our sins. What does that do? It gives us a blanket sort of permission to commit as many crimes as we want. So long as we pertain to Isa, who has sacrificed himself, who then has absolved us of our sins, then we are going to paradise so long as we believe in Isa and nothing else. This is what the worldview does to us. Now, if we have a particular worldview that everybody is condemned and we are the only ones who are the chosen one, what that does immediately is it sets up a bias within our minds. To whatever the other is, and how we interpret the other, the prophet came into Medina. The Jews of Medina, they were warning the Medinian community that a prophet will come, and when he comes, we will predominate. Now the pagans of Medina used to hear this all the time. They invited the prophet. They heard the message of the prophet. Suratul Araf was recited by the prophet in Medina. And some of the chiefs of Medina in in Makkah, and some of the chiefs of Medina had gone to Makkah, they were told that this is a sorcerer, he bewitches, don't listen to him. They nonetheless were overcome with curiosity. So they unplugged their ears, and they heard the verses of Surah Araf. And the amazing thing was, that in these verses, in which the Prophet was giving his own worldview, and the paradigm that he was setting, what he said was, nothing to do with Islam. In these verses, he said, oh, people do not cheat each other. Do not bury your children. Do not sacrifice your children. Do not kill each other. Do not lie. Be good to each other. This man said, the one who was listening, that he is talking about values that pertain to all of us and that all of us have forgotten. And he is pointing out social ills that are causing the devastation of the whole community these were the most humanitarian verses ever to be revealed agreed upon by all the abrahamic faiths agreed upon by every human beings and therefore those pagans agreed immediately that what he is saying makes sense this is the paradigm not a paradigm in which you have to sacrifice for your gods in order to gain favors of your god and your god will then sustain you and until you sacrifice a child the god will not sustain you This cannot be a right world in which you say that I can cheat the other and there is no consequence upon me because I am the chosen one. What he is saying makes sense. So this Medinian people, they immediately said that if this is the man who is saying these things and this is the man that the Jews were talking about, then this is the rightful messenger of God because he makes sense and his paradigm works, his worldview is accurate. But you know how the Jews reacted of Medina? They said he is a liar. He is copying everything from our scriptures. He has learned it from us, similar to the reaction of the Meccans, the Kuffar of Mecca, who said he's a sorcerer because they weren't as sophisticated as the Jews of Medina. So they leveled blames of sorcery against him. He's a magician. He's a soothsayer. He's learned it from the Jews and the Christians. And the Jews said he's learned our scriptures and he's repeating them He is. What happened there was that their worldview barred them from receiving the truth. Their worldview was that we are the chosen ones. The Prophet said, there are no chosen ones. God does not have a chosen one. Whoever, the Quran says, Bala. Yes, he who earns crimes, sins, and surrounded by his mistakes, they will be plung, flung, they will be flung into hell. And those who turn to Allah and do righteous deeds, they will be given paradise. There is no chosen one in the book of God. And they said, we are the chosen ones. How dare he equals the pagans with us? So their biases, their worldview does not allow them to accept the prophet and does not allow them to even give him a listening ear and to listen to what he is saying. The bias was in their mind. That bias bars them from listening to him. Whereas the pagans were open enough to listen to him and to say, actually, he is making a lot of sense. He has to be the messenger because whatever he says makes sense to us. This is what our worldview does for us. Now look at the Prophet. When he came into Medina, Surah Baqarah was revealed. Yes, and Surah Baqarah obviously is the one that gives you social laws. In Mecca, Islam was scattered amongst individuals. In Medina, it acquires a society, a social existence. So the social norms, the laws, the do's and don'ts are revealed in Medina. But strikingly, look at the first verses of Surah Baqarah. It talks about the faithful as having belief in God. And after belief in God, having surety of the hereafter. After that, and we want to focus on these two uh, points afterwards. But after that, what does the Prophet say? Who believe in everything revealed unto them and everything revealed unto you. The Prophet's worldview was so broad. WAS SO BROAD, THAT HE SAID THAT THE MUSLIM IS ONE WHO BELIEVES IN WHATEVER IS REVEALED OF THE QUR'AN AND WHATEVER HAS BEEN REVEALED OF THE TORAH AND OF THE INJIL AND OF THE Sahuf OF IBRAHIM AND OF NUH AND OF MUSA AND Dawood AND ISA. THIS WAS THE WORLDVIEW THAT THE PROPHET HAD, A VERY BROAD ONE THAT CAUSED HIM TO APPRECIATE THEIR REVELATION. AND THAT WAS THE WORLDVIEW AND THE BIAS OF THE JEWS THAT BARRED THEM FROM ACCEPTING THE MESSAGE OF THE PROPHET. Sheerly on their bias. Now, what does it mean? Islam got centricity and liberation. What Islam does is it brings humanity to their natural condition. What is the natural condition of humanity? For those of you who've been listening to what I've been saying, will find this uh, a bit of a repetition, but hear it because it's quite necessary from the time of Adam till now, what have we been doing? We have been growing, evolving. We have been maturing. That's the only thing we've been doing. Humanity was born in the cradle as an infant, as a baby. It learned to crawl. It learned to walk with the aid of a father holding its finger. It learned to stand straight. It learned to run. It learned to evolve. That's what ima- humanity has been doing. From stone ages to this, where we are conquering space. But this growth of humanity has been a very expensive one. A very expensive one. It's not been an easy one. Humanity wants to evolve. It want to b- wants to burst forth because it is based on the principle of La-Ilah. La ilah means there is no restraint. There is no God. Illallah means the absolute completion. But before illallah comes, there is la ilah. There is no restraint. There is no curtailing of the growth. You see, what we find is that at every point, human beings are moving forward. And suddenly, they are curtailed. They are not curtailed because of anything but these false worldviews. The worldviews curtail them by way of religions, by way of cultures, by way of the cosmological sort of view and paradigms that we have. What happens is that after a lot of struggle, they break through and they create a broader worldview. It has come through revolutions, this growth. It has come through bloodshed. It has come through calling people apostates, calling them kafirs, burning them at the stake, crucifying them, killing them in their hundreds and thousands. (coughs) It has been a very costly, expensive evolution and growth. But nonetheless, humanity has been on a unilateral trend of growth. What happens as soon as the ovum is fertilized? It becomes into a fetus. What happens? It takes birth. What happens? It crawls. It walks. It runs. It becomes a human being who is standing upon its own feet. What happens? It begins to conquer the world through its intellect. And at the end, what happens when the body begins to become frail and begins to descend to the earth once again? The human being arrives at a spiritual, noble, spiritual pedestal. We don't see a reverse trend. We are only seeing a unilateral trend towards completion and growth. The human being does that. A seed does that. As soon as you, pl- you, you plunge it within the earth, bury it within the earth, it will sprout and grow. From the Big Bang till now, if our appreciation of this physical five-dimensional universe is accurate, from Big Bang till now, what have we done in this universe? We have done nothing but grow and elaborate. This is the natural human condition. One of breaking all boundaries, all restraints, not curtailing itself at all. What Islam does is, it informs of that worldview. Islam says, your grandfather was the one before whom the angels were prostrated. Islam says, the heavens, the suns, The moon, the sun, the moon, the stars are all subservient to you. He has created for you everything upon this earth. You don't need to prostrate a rock or a stone. You don't need to prostrate a star or a moon. They are all yours. O people, man and jinn, if you can penetrate within the realms of the heavens, then do so. You will not do so save by great force, but he's giving license. Do so for this is your nature. What does Islam do? It brings human beings to its natural position that you are unrestricted. Go forth. Have no restraints in yourself. Go forth. Achieve whatever is there to be achieved. Delve into the depths of the oceans. Reveal the secrets of the oceans. Go into space. Find out what mysteries lie there. Conquer it all. Colonize it all. It's all for you. You are an unending species that I have created. And what does God do? He takes utmost pride at this surge, at this growth, at this evolution. Are you going to tell me that the teacher wants his students being uneducated? Does any teacher take pride in uneducated students? Or does teacher take utmost pride when his students begin begin to challenge him and pushing knowledge further? Are you telling me that a father takes pride in a son always being at the mercy of the father's decision and not being able to take their own decision? Or does the father take pride when the son and the daughter, they come of age and they say to the father, now resign and we will take over the business empire. God has instilled that nature in the father, in the instructor. God by priority has the same nature. If he takes pride in Adam and says to the angels, despite the bloodshed and the corruption, even then, I take pride in him now prostrate in front of him. Imagine what we must have despite the bloodshed and the corruption. Allah takes pride in Adam and gives him the knowledge of all names. What will this knowledge do inside? It has to bubble up and come out. Adam has all this inside him. Me and you are the spectacles of Adam are the reflections of Adam. This has to manifest itself. WHAT DOES ISLAM DO? IT BRINGS HUMAN BEING TO THAT LEVEL OF THEIR NATURE. UNRESTRICT YOURSELF. AND THAT'S WHAT THE QURAN SAYS. HE IS A Nabi al AL-UMMI THAT THEY FIND in ANDAHUM FI TAURAATI WAL-INJIL. THAT THEY FIND IN TAURAATI and injil HE DOES AMAL al maruf AND MAKES HALAL WHAT IS GOOD. BUT BY THAT WHAT DOES HE DO? HE BREAKS THE SHACKLES THAT TIED THEM DOWN AND LIFTS THE WEIGHT THAT PINS THEM TO THE EARTH. AND WHAT DOES THAT DO? from a nomadic tribe, warring tribe that the Prophet went to, he creates a league of nation, fine moral human beings, from illiterate Arabs, to the greatest poets, from people who do not know more than the shimmering sands of Arabia, to explorers, from people who are insecure and worshipped stone, to the people who are inventors and fathers of the modern scientific method. What does Islam do? It brings them to that nature that you are unrestricted on the basis of La-Ilah. And what does that paradigm mean? It does two things. It says wholesomely submit to Allah. Allah has no limitation. Seek as much knowledge as you can. Allah is absolute in being the moral agent. Become righteous moral agent. Display angelic gems within your own character allah is the absolute focus arrive at that pedestal of spirituality that you yourself begin to mirror mirror isa the son of maria that is god's centricity and putting away and breaking all boundaries is known as the process of liberation so islam God centricity and human liberation Is the title of these talks Islam wholesome submission to Allah Allah the principle of absolute completion the process of liberation is the process of la ilah there is no boundary go forth and claim your glory now I will say this before now I think my time is finishing I will say this before we going into the conclusion Think about this. If we were to define Allah as the giver of life. And we don't understand the meaning of the giver of life. Yes. What will happen? It will curtail us. Muslims. As physicians. Will never study. The area of medicine. Which entails reviving dead bodies. Because theologically in their minds. There is a boundary. God gives life. Can you see that? Two, if through modern advancements we are able to resurrect dead people, what will it do? It will shatter the very basis of our faith. Can you see that? This is what limited notions do to us. It restricts our growth and it challenges us when those things happen. Just like the Christians who stated, that the supremacy of human being is based on the centrality or of of, of Earth being the center of the universe. As soon as the premise is broken, the rest of the theology built upon it is shattered. And Christianity loses credibility to a great extent. Similarly are we. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains so gloriously within the Quran that Isa resurrected the dead through my command, through my permission. Can you not see how Allah leaves these windows open? What a phenomenal book the Quran is. I am not saying, yes, that Allah doesn't give life. Allah gives life. Allah creates. Allah feeds. Tell me. When we say, Oh Allah, feed the poor. What happens? Does Jibrail come with a tiffin and a packed lunch? What happens? People go and feed each other, don't they? And this is seen as Allah feeding, isn't it? The human hand is seen as the hand of God. Isn't it? How beautiful is that hadith in which Allah says on the day of Qiyamah, I will surely ask you, I was hungry, you did not feed me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. How beautiful is this hadith? Yes? So when we clothe the naked, it is Allah clothing it because Allah inspires us to clothe the naked. It is Allah sending that garment through us as agents to the one who is supplicating. When we say, Oh Allah, cure us, what happens? Somebody makes a breakthrough in medicine and he finds a cure and he cures us. What do we say? We say, Oh man, you cured me. We say, No, Allah, you cured me through him. There is a way of understanding things. Allah is the giver of life. He can give it through Isa or he can give it without Isa. Allah is the creator. He can create the Himalayas through a volcanic explosion, and he can create the Eiffel Tower through me and you. We need to understand things in a much broader way, much broader way. I'm asking a question here. What the cue? Hussein Ibn Ali, think about this. How liberated the man is. I'll give one example. Inshallah, if time permits in the future mudlises, then we will explore this further. I give this example often. If we are in a plane <coughs> and it takes a nosedive, what would happen? We would be filled with panic, wouldn't we? And there would be some people screaming and shouting. Even the people who are smokers, they will not have the composure of the soul to light up a cigarette because they will be struck with panic. They'll be screaming and shouting, won't they? What this reveals is our state, the real state, the real Arif. The real Arif is not this one who sits so calm and composed in front of you. He is the one to be seen at the time of panic, at the time of crisis, at the time of test. Then you will see the real person inside. We would panic, wouldn't we? Now, imagine if at that point, there is a person who can overcome this panic who has acquired their soul through Godliness to an extent that they can reason. And they say, well, if this plane is going to crash, then I will die. My crying and burning my blood like this is not going to make any difference. So I might as well sit calmly. Yes, because there's also a possibility that the plane might not crash, in which case I will die out of a heart attack in any case. Imagine if a person could logically think through the situation. Imagine now if a person can go beyond that and say, actually, O Lord, I embrace my destiny. As you can kill me through the crushing of the plane, you can kill me sitting on my seat. You can take me in any way. Imagine now that there is a person who grows through this threat and who actually comforts the others and say, look, this is not the end. This is the beginning of a beautiful new world. As Hussein said, when he was being attacked, he had a smile on his face. They said the outer circle of Hussein's people, who are human beings nonetheless, they, they were fear, fearful of death, of course, and it's natural. They were fearful of death. And seeing 30,000 in front of you, and you're only 72 or 150 or whatever the numbers quoted in Hadith, of course you'll be gripped with fear. They said, look at Hussein, look at Abbas, look at Akbar, look at Muslim. Their faces, no, no fear. But look at the smile on the face of Hussein. Look at the contentment and the serenity. Hussein heard this. He smiled at them and he said, oh people, my grandfather has said, death is a bridge from this world to the eternal gardens and to Allah. Why should we fear death? Why should we not embrace it when he said this the impact that it had upon his flock was that a person was at the Kaaba clinging to its cloth and asking Allah to forgive him for killing Hussein and his people they said to him do you have no shame you outnumbered them and you killed them so brutally you know what he replied he said by Allah we kill them to save ourselves. They were running to death. They were running to death as a baby runs to the bosom of its mother. The only way we could save ourselves was to kill them. This is how it impacted them. Now imagine if a person can sit back and console others and increase in their spirituality. This is Hussein. He has conquered his fear, his anxiety. You do know that fear is man-made. Danger is real. Fear is made by us. He conquers his fear, his anxiety. I will say this. What Hussein displays is something we can't imagine. We can't imagine. The greatest tribulation upon the heart of a soul is the fate of those that he leaves behind. As he emerged from his tent for his final battle, a child runs behind him, falling and standing. She pulls at his garment, he turns around. She says, Ya Abata Umvor ilayya O oh Father, look at me. In Yatshan, I die of thirst. His eyes flood with tears. He places his hand upon her head. And says, "Sakakillah, ya bunia, O child, may Allah quench your thirst." This is Hussein, who goes forth in the love of Allah. On these nights, on the nights of Shaban, Hussein is summoned by walid bin Utba. Imam Hussein gathers Abbas, his brothers, his sons and nephews, and cousins. And says, I fear for the worst. Come with me. If you hear my voice raised, hesitate not and come to my aid. Imam Hussein enters into the office of Walid bin Utbah, who is Yazid's cousin. Walid is accompanied by Marwan bin Hakam. Walid says to Imam Hussein, Muawiyah has died. Imam Hussein pronounces the words of istirja' inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. He then reads the content of Yazid's letter. Extract the bay'ah of Hussein ibn Ali and spare him not from giving this bay'ah. Imam Hussein looks at Walid and he says, O oh, Walid, would it not be most appropriate that you put this question to me in public in the view of everyone? And I respond. Walid said, indeed, that would be a better thing to do. Go back to your home and come to me tomorrow at the mosque. As Imam Hussein was about to leave, Marwan said, Walid, behead the man, or extract his bayah. When he said, Behead the man, Hussein raised his voice. He says, You have lied, O son of an unchaste woman. Shall you behead me or shall he? As his voice was raised. The door was unhinged. Stood there was the lion of Baniyashim. With his sword unsheathed. Sweat pouring from his forehead. Grinding his teeth. When Walid and Marwan saw this. They stood back in shock. Hussein placed his hand on the chest of Abbas. Oh Abbas. Calm your soul. Hussein moves back to his home. Abbas has lowered his head and he's weeping. When Hussein comes to Zainab, Zainab says, O oh Hussein, what news do you bring? He says, Oh sister, I bring news of the coming, of the promise that was given by our mother. She embraces Hussein. She says, Oh Hussein, is the promise true? Hussein says, it will now unfold. She hears the sobbing of Abbas. She says, "Oh Abbas, what has become of you?" Oh Zainab, they threatened him, and I stood there. Zainab's eyes are filled with tears as she looks at Abbas. Hussein comes at night to the grave of the Prophet. Rasul ko par hain. बहन करते हैं या رسول अल्लाह व जदा वो वक्त आ गया कि जब आपका मदीना मुझे छोड़ना पड़ेगा आलम-ए-غش میں رسول کو دیکھتے ہیں آسمان سے نازل ہوتے ہیں پیغمبر اور کہتے ہیں حسین اوپر کی طرف دیکھیے اپنا مقام دیکھیے فردوس میں حسین کہتے ہیں یا پیغمبر اے جد आप آپ ہمیں اپنے ساتھ لے جائیے یہاں مت तो تو بیگمبر کہتا ہے حسین
3: شہادت کے بعد ہی یہ مقام آپ کو ملے گا حسین کو افاقہ ہوتا ہے حسین کی نانی تب تک آ جاتی ہیں وہاں
4: کہتے حسین ماجرہ کیا تھا ودید نے کیا کہا کہا ہے نانی اممہ, ہمیں عراق جانا پڑے گا, उनके दावतों पर कहा हुसैन कूफा से परहेज़ कीजिए आपके नाना ने मुझसे कह गया कह गए थे हमसे कि हमारे हुसैन जब कूफा की तरफ बढ़ें तो इस शीशे में जो खाक है उसे गौर से देखते जाइएगा जब यह सुर्ख हो जाए तो समझ लेना कि हुसैन चल बसे कहा के नानी अम्मा मैं जानता हूं मेरे आगे क्या कुछ है क्या कुछ आने वाला है और क्या कुछ मनाज़िर पे शायेंगे और कैसे मकामात का सामना करना पड़ेगा कहा है हुसैन क्या वाकयन आप कत्ल हो जाएंगे कहा कि नानी अम्मा न सिर्फ मैं कोई भी बाकी नहीं रहेगा शमियों में से कहा है हुसैन क्या होने वाला है आशुर के दिन पर मैं कहूँगा اے حسین کی نانی ذرا دیکھئے کربلا کا منظر ہمارے ساتھ کیا دیکھتی ہیں آپ تو شاید انہوں نے کہا ہو کہ ایک چھوٹی سی بچی کو دیکھ رہی ہوں था مشکیزہ تھامے ہوئے کہہ رہی ہے یا عطشان واما کبھی پیاس کو روتی ہے کبھی چچا عباس کو رو رہی ہے मैं कहूंगा नानी कुछ आगे देखिए
3: तो क्या देखती हैं एक कड़ियल
4: जवान जमीन पर गिरा हुआ है एड़ियां रगड़ रहा है और सीने में बरची का फल और हुसैन सर पे खाक डाल रहे हैं और कह रहे हैं वाज्जदा मैं कहूंगा अगर आगे देख सके तो देखिए क्या देख रही है हुसैन का बेसर लाशा गोलों से रोंदा गया
3: अल्ला لعنت الله القوم الظالمين وسيعلم الذين ظلموا يوم قلبي ينقلبون ماتم हुसैन या हुसैन या हुसैन
4: या
5: हुसैन چلا میں وعد آنی بانے چلا میں Salam na na ke salam ma ke mazar. na ma na चला में वादा निभाने चला में वादा निभाने सलाम मां के मजार सलाम ना ना के salam ma ke mazar salam na na ke roze salam ma ke mazar salam na na मैं तेरा दीन बचाऊंगा ए मेरे नाना मैं तेरा बचाऊंगा ए मेरे नाना मैं अपना खून बहाऊंगा ae mere nana hussein jata hai marne hussein jata hai marne salam ma salam na na ke salam meri sharir ke safar ban ke saath chalamma meri sharir ke safar ban ke saath chalamma safar pe jata hu kapre mere badalamma badan pe phir ek na na ke roze salam ma ke mazar salam na na ke roze salam तुम्हारे जैसा है ना ना ये मेरा लालक बर तुम्हारे जैसा है ना ना ये मेरा ना ना से ہمارے دل کا قرار سلام na نہ, نہ کے روزے سلام ماں کے مزار سلام نہ نہ کے روزے سلام تمام پھول سے بچے ہیں اور گرم ہوا تمام پھول سے بچے ہیں اور گرم ہوا ہمارے خون کی پیاسی ہے فوج ذل مو جفا سفر میں کوئی, شجر بھی سفر میں کوئی شجر بھی نہیں ہے سا یادہ سلام نہ نہ کے روزے سلام ماں کے مزار سلام نہ روزے سلام ماں ایک پھول تو ایسا ہے جو کھلا हा एक फूल तो ऐसा है जो खिला भी नहीं हा एक फूल तो ऐसा है जो खिला भी नहीं ना पाए पानी को कर सकता वो खिला भी नहीं वो जिसके दहन से आती वो जिसके दहन से आती हे दूध ki mehka na ke na na ke rozay ke Na ke roz-e salam ma ke mazar salam na Na ke roz salam ma ke na Na roz salam mazar Ya Ya mola hakeem imam ya hasan ya husain mola hakeem imam hasan ya mola hakeem imam hasan ya husain abide bimar था vo abide لاچار تھا, اور شام, کا تھا اور شام کا بازار تھا اور مصطفی کی بیٹیا مولا یا حسن, یا حسن مولا حسین وہ اسغرے بے شیر تھا وہ اسغرے ام بشیر تھا اور حرمالہ کا تیر تھا اور حرمالہ کا تیر پیاسا گلا کیوں کر کھٹار ہوئی زمین اور آسمان مولا حسن یا حسین مولا Ya Hussain, Ya Hussain, Ya Hussein Ya Hussein Ya Hussein Muhammad wa ali Muhammad salawat Allahumma
6: Muhammad wa ala ali Muhammad wa sallam Rahim Brothers and sisters assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi please decide Dwa Shifa, Shifa for all Numerites, please? Bismillah <laughs> ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Amma yujibu al-Mudhutara izah da'ahu yakshifu al-Suh Amma yujibu al-Mudhutara izah da'ahu yakshifu al-Suh Amma yujibu al-Mudhutara izah da'ahu yakshifu al-Suh Amayyujibol Muhammad wa Brothers and sisters, could you please start Surah Fatiha for all the Marhumins whose names will be appearing on the screens and for all their deceased family members. Surah Al Mubarak al Fatiha. Brothers and sisters, just a few other announcements. On Thursday, the 15th of October, Ladies Only Majlis program will start at 10.30 a.m. with Marcia followed by Majlis, Matam, ending with Namaz. And in the evening, we shall commemorate the second night of Muharram. The program shall start at 7.30 p.m. with Namaz, followed by Marcia and Poetry, Majlis, ending with Matam. There will also be parallel children's majlis in the Zamana Hall. On Friday, the 16th, and Saturday, the 17th of October, we will have a Q&A session with Sheikh Arif after the programme. Thank you for listening. Alaykum wa rahmatullahi warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. assalamu alaikum ya Nabi Allah. alaikum ya Habib Allah. السلام عليك يا امير المؤمنين سيد الوصيين امام المتقين السلام عليك يا فاطمه الزهراء سيدتي نساء العالمين السلام عليك يا حسن المجتبى السلام عليك يا ابا عبد الله وعلى الارواح التي حلت بفنائك عليكم مني جميعا سلام الله ما ما بقيت وبقي الليل والنهار ولا جعله الله اخر الاهلي مني لزيارتكم السلام على الحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين وعلى اولاد الحسين وَعَلَى أَسْحَابِ الْحُسَيْنِ جَمِيْئًا وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَارَكَاتُمْ as salamu alaika ya gari bal hurabao moina do ofa iwal fokora, as sultan abal hassan maulana aliyab na mosar rida, Kun jafi'ana wa shafi awale de nafiyomil jazza, as salamu alaika walla ohtika farti matal maasuma wa rahmasullah wa barakatum, as salamu alaika ya hujatibnil hassan ya maulani, ya sohibal asri was zaman man, al aman, al aman, al aman, min fitnet is the man, as alaika ya sharikal korana, as salamu ala- al كان الايمان السلام عليك يا امامنا وامام الانس والجان الله فرجك وسهل الله تعالى مخرجك ووزحورك Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Allahumma kulli waliyika l-Hujjati Hassan Salawatuka Alehi wa ala abaih Fi hadhi kulli s-su'ah Waliyyan wa hafidha Wa qaidaan wa nasira Wa Aina, Hata, Tuskinaho, or the ah,